Welcome to Growth Marketing Today, where marketers, designers, and product owners level up their growth marketing chops from experts in today's top startups. Here's your host, Ramley John. Hey, welcome to episode 53 of Growth Marketing Today. I'm your host, Ramley John, and I'm here on a mission to help marketers and founders like you sharpen their marketing skills by talking to today's top experts. Today, I had the pleasure of talking to the inspiring Ryan Kopp. He has so many projects on the go, courses, books, YouTube videos, all the while growing his SaaS company, FOMO, from 15000 to 100000 monthly recurring revenue in just three years. And this is what I focus on in this episode. I really pick Ryan's brain on how he grew FOMO's MRR. He highlighted four things from pricing strategy, support strategy, and competitive strategy in this episode. Now, this is going to be a goldmine if you're currently growing a company or you're a marketer in a company. I'm super excited about this episode. I've created a growth cheat sheet with how Ryan grew FOMO from fifteen to 100000 monthly recurring revenue in just three years. So why take notes from this episode when you can steal my notes? Download my growth cheat sheet at growthtoday.fm forward slash 53, or you can get it in the link in the description of wherever you get your podcast. Now, this will only be up until Tuesday, August 13th, because that's when the next episode comes up. So get it now at growthtoday.fm forward slash 53. If you're listening to this episode after Tuesday, August 13th, subscribe so you don't miss any episodes growth cheat sheet. Now, please support this podcast. I'm not sure if you know this. This podcast is a one-man show. I record, edit, and create all the marketing materials for this podcast. I've made it simple for you to support this. I've created three ways. First, share a quote for, on Twitter or LinkedIn. Go to growthtoday.fm forward slash 53, and you can click on the link to share it on Twitter or LinkedIn. Second, join Grow Today's Tribe. You'll get the cheat sheet directly emailed to you. I also tell you who my next guests are and you can ask questions via email. You can join that at growtoday.fm. And third, support me on Patreon with as little as $2 per episode for exclusive access such as a personal handwritten thank you note with stickers mailed to you from me, early access to podcasts one day before the release, access to all the Grow Cheat Sheets, access to a private Grow Today Tribe Slack group, and you can listen in to some of my podcast recordings, and more. My goal is to raise $200 per episode so I can focus all my energy on finding more amazing guests and putting together smart questions from the community to ask them. You can go to patreon.com forward slash growth today, or you can also find this in the link in the description. With that, I announced last week that I have two Patreons now. My first one is Jamie Ward from Las Vegas and also Veronica from London, UK. I just want to thank you both for being my early adopter Enough about me. Let's jump in. Let's listen in on my chat with Ryan. Hey, everyone. I have here Ryan. I'm so excited to chat with him about a bunch of companies that he has acquired uh, and also a bunch of companies that he has grown. So I'm pretty excited. How are you doing, Ryan? How are things with you? Hey, man. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, doing well. I'm sitting in a co-working space in Madeira Island, Portugal right now. Yeah, I know. I read your posts about how you're traveling to 30 plus countries how is that how's that going for you like is, has it been great the post i guess is outdated now so i think it's going to be closer to 45 uh, okay. or 50 countries <laughs> the trip is going to be basically so 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 the backstory uh i'm not a travel guy I, i've never really dreamed of like backpacking across europe or anything like that i don't even think it's that interesting or that cool or that fun to be traveling but uh, I was living in New York City. <laughs> Hear me out, right? So I was living in New York City six, seven years. I really enjoyed it. Uh, my woman, who became my wife, so she's still my woman, uh, did not love it. She wanted to move back to Texas, where she grew up. And we kind of made a deal that we'll move from New York to Texas, but let's first just travel a little bit and have fun before I have to buy like belt buckles and cowboy hats, you know? So, so we started traveling, uh, hit Korea in January and liked it enough and just kept slowly moving westward cool. and filling out this spreadsheet of, of a future month itinerary. And now it's kind of turned into or downward spiraled into this 18 month uh, 
trip about twice around the world. So, you know, we worked, we worked West from Asia and now we're in Europe and then we're going back to Asia after Oktoberfest and West again. I have to ask this, what's the best country, city or place you've been at so far? It depends what you're looking for. You know, if you want to have a good time, if you want to get work done, if you want to see interesting sites. Um, for us, we've really loved Taipei, uh, Kuala Lumpur and Porto, Portugal. Those were excellent for food, for scenery, for just feeling kind of chill and relaxed, uh, a bit cheaper. Um, but you know, if you want to just see tons of crazy stuff, going somewhere like Rome uh, is fantastic. But Rome is a horrible place to get work done. For example, how are you doing this? I, I and last time I read, you had you you bought four companies. Like, how many companies do you run now? Sure. So I'm always working on projects. A lot of times I call them projects until they make yep. any real money. And then and I would call it a company. I, I think, first of all, I think you'd be surprised how much a human is capable of, uh, of how much output you're capable of achieving when you don't watch five hours of Netflix every day and you don't drink with, you know, you don't drink yeah. with friends three times a week. And that's what I used to do. So I, I've, I've been able to spot the, the contrast, like the diff in my own throughput based on, uh, based on just my environment. So right now, I'm primarily focused on FOMO. Uh, that's been my focus primarily since 2016. My second focus, kind of in order of revenue, I guess. My second focus is cross-sell. It's a Shopify app we acquired. My third focus is Lobaloo, which is a florist invoicing app we acquired. And then a few of the other apps we've acquired, we either folded into FOMO or we shut down or they're just sort of on autopilot, hold forever ideas. And uh, and then at any given moment, we're spinning up apps. So I think we've We've spun up four or five small free or SaaS apps in the last 90 days or so, all at varying levels in their you know launch lifecycle. And those are kind of studio projects. So yeah, within any given day, I'll toggle between three or four projects and I have probably eight or 10 projects on my plate. And this is while traveling to 45 countries. Like that's totally amazing, man. That's like the dream right there. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's while not watching Netflix as often as I used to. That's true. Yeah, that's true. That that's totally true. I think uh, I watched too much Netflix. I'm not sure. Do you still watch Netflix? Stranger Things three came out like last <laughs> week. Yeah, I watched like... the last series I watched on Netflix was that show You, the yes. stalker guy. Yep. Um, I haven't watched any Game of Thrones. I've watched a few movies this year. Uh, I, that's that's mostly it. I've watched doc. I've I've watched documentaries. I feel those are sort of like on the cusp of educational and I can justify that I'm learning something like, oh, don't join a cult. That's like one of the main things I've learned this year from from documentaries, uh, things like that. But yeah, I, I haven't binge watched as many shows as I used to. Um, but you know, when you, I think when you travel a lot, when you meet new people every week, when you're always trying to learn how to say thank you in a different language, it's it's, it's, its own form of like real world. It's its own kind of TV show and things are a little more interesting. Um, so I don't think I'm missing out, you know, too bad. Talking about cults, there's this whole idea of Silicon Valley, right? Like, uh, and that's what I wanted to chat with you because I, people think of Silicon Valley as this place to be, to start things, raise money, become a unicorn. But in your page, you said that you actually despise Silicon Valley. You know, what, what do you mean by that? I'm, I'm really curious because uh, we probably share the same, same view here. Sure. Well, if anyone is listening to this, if you live in Silicon Valley, I, you know, you're I'm about to hurt your feelings. Yeah, I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry, sorry. but like you might, yeah, they're going to be very triggered. Um, they might want to put in earphones or something like that. But, you know, to me, Silicon Valley is disgusting for a few reasons. First, topographically, if you literally walk around San Francisco, it's absolutely disgusting. It's like if you went to Six Flags and they never, ever cleaned it and you went on their 101st year anniversary of being open. It's like something like that, but probably worse if I had more time to articulate it. Um, that's how disgusting San Francisco is, literally logistically walking around. And everyone who lives there, people who say San Francisco is magical, they either only live in like the two neighborhoods that don't have that problem, or they're just sort of willfully ignorant about it because they want to see the good in the place, right? I understand we've got amazing companies based there coming out of there. Uh, a lot of innovation does happen there. That is all true. Uh, but that's not mutually exclusive to how disgusting it is and why that's turning people away from wanting to live there. And that's not to mention rising rents, et cetera, right? So that, that's part of it. But the other part of it is actually the people. And, and to me, it's kind of like the culture. So I think, I think everywhere you go, this has been especially heightened to me now that I've been traveling full time. Everywhere you go has its own kind of 
culture. And culture isn't just like, uh, you know, United States, our culture is one of individualism. There's even micro cultures within the United States, right? So if you go to New York City, the culture is sort of high energy intensity. People are a little bit more rude, you know, that kind of thing, if you go somewhere else. And so in San Francisco, the culture is this like, kind of like passive aggressive, um, right? Like I'll kill you, yeah. but I'll do it while you're sleeping yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And that's how everyone's like treating each other in business and their own sort of style of cutthroat competition. That's how people are even on the street. So I remember I lived in Soma, which is, you know, like the, the neighborhood right in San Francisco for a lot of startups. And there could be someone like walking across the street, like, uh, you know, I don't know, after the lights turn green and they're wasted and they're crawling and just no one haunts, no one does anything. Everyone seemingly waits patiently. But I actually think that human nature says those people are on their cars seething and they just don't have the nerve to say something or do something because everyone has to conform to this like, no, it's, it's no worries. Everything's chill. It's all good, mm. but it's not all good. And, and no one believes that. In fact, that's similar in Japan. So in Japan on the train, they could be seething at you when you, when you talk or joke with your friends, they don't like to talk a lot on the train, but they won't say it to you. Mm. And so it's kind of like, what's a healthier culture um, that you keep it to yourself and you, you pent up this negative energy towards others because you feel compelled by your quote unquote culture to not say anything, or is it better to just let it all out like they do in New York city, you know? And so after living in New York, moving to San Francisco for a year, I just was in my lifestyle, my way of my mode of being was so incongruent with, with many of the attributes um, of San Francisco. And I think, you know, it's, it's heyday is over. I think over the next several years, as more and more companies are remote, mm-hmm. um, it's, you know, VCs won't feel compelled to be there, which means you won't have bank accounts with billions of dollars and holdings there. And I think it's going to not die. I just think it will be something we read about in textbooks. I don't think San Francisco can maintain this, this prowess forever. Uh, and frankly, to me, all the, the enlightened entrepreneurs I know, none of them are still living and working in San Francisco, but, but you kind of pay homage, you, know, you, you, you pay tribute, you go live there a year or two, you go raise money there, you get in, you get out, go do an accelerator there, and then you leave. And that's kind of the, the new way for the enlightened entrepreneur. I actually lived in San Francisco for six months, helping out a startup there. And I did find the same thing where you're in networking events and the questions they ask you is, where do you work? How much have they raised? How many employees are they at? And then if you don't say the right answers, then they ignore you. You know, like you're, you're not, you know, you feel like you're, you have to measure up to, to people's perception. And I've, I've read some of my friends, they go on dates and that's the first question they ask them on the date, which is super. <laughs> hey, what, what, what company do you work for and how much have they raised? I'm like, hello, we just, we're on a first date. <laughs> that's, that's spot on. And I think, uh, another way to think about this, if anyone's listening and they're considering moving to San Francisco, you know, your, your nose doesn't work. You don't mind the poop everywhere. All of that's fine. But, but if you're considering moving, another way to think about it is that because everyone in San Francisco, seemingly everyone, everyone that you meet, at least when you go to networking events, they work in tech, right? So you work in tech, you meet other people, they work in tech. So in New York City, it's what do you do? I'm in a startup or what's your startup called? In San Francisco, it's straight to what you said, what's your startup called? And that's okay if you don't like diversity of thought and opinion and backgrounds. That's okay. But where it's not much okay is that most startups fail right? So over 90% fail, which means that by living in San Francisco, by definition, most of your friends are losers. It's like over 90% of everyone you know is failing at whatever they're doing with all of their heart. So they're waking up every day and going to like a loser job. And I think that takes a toll on, uh, on our, our potential or tapping into our self or sense of potential. Because when everyone you know is like every six months getting a new job because they didn't raise as much money or they're letting people go or they have to switch startups because of some trauma or people are banging each other in the hallways like at, you know whatever that one company was then you know you just you live there 10 years and you could have 50 friends and only one of them has ever made profit at their company so the other 49 friends are all losers so that's just that's just my two cents maybe my three cents on san francisco yeah totally totally agree that that was my experience being there and that's where FOMO comes in you didn't start that or run FOMO like it was a silicon Valley startup I'm curious what the story behind FOMO is and how did that come about? Sure. And this is a good segue from San Francisco because I was, and I guess with this traveling. So around four years ago, I was working at a, my own little marketing agency in New York and I got really sick of 
uh, being told no by my developer colleagues. So you have a pet project, an app you want them to build uh, that you think you could sell. Maybe you just want them to set up like better tracking parameters on some checkout goal so that you can give better attribution reports to your client. So I had all these requests all the time, constantly getting told no, got sick of it, decided to pack all my stuff and go to uh, Thailand and try to learn how to code. And so that's what I did. And while I was there, just for a little over a month, I started talking to a VC fund in San Francisco, um, made me an offer, couldn't refuse, packed my stuff again and moved to, uh, to SF. And so while I was there, part of my job, my primary role was to do marketing for companies we'd invested in. So sort of like a, a marketer in residence. Uh, and we would uh, procure additional equity from these startups, optionally up to them, of course, to do marketing for them. And uh, that was a lot of fun. And another small part of my job was just to keep my eyes peeled on companies that may be fundraising, just as you know, what anyone does if you work at a VC fund. You're always kind of recruiting, you're always looking for deals. And uh, I came across this site uh, it was actually a guy who's now a buddy of mine, stickinabox.co, a beef jerky subscription site. And I remember the homepage said, Ashley Madison for vegans. Wow. I thought that was the, the greatest thing. Yeah. It's like one of those headlines where you see it and you're like, I would give a body limb to say that I wrote that. <laughs> and, uh, and I came across it and so I subscribed. And this was all during my move. And this is where this comes into place. So I was moving from New York and... I had to log in to stick in a box to fix my credit card zip code because I had changed banks to San Francisco. So when I go to log in to update my beef jerky tasty subscription box, uh, I see this notification that says, you know, John bought uh, our meat lover box five minutes ago. And as a marketer, my brain just kind of exploded. This is 2000, early 2016. Uh, I just thought, what is that? Right. And I just gotten into coding. I just been understanding like HTML and source code. And so I kind of poke around the JavaScript and see that it's this tool called notify and specifically it was a Shopify app. And so being a good, uh, employee, I reached out to see if the guy was interested in raising money and he said, no. <laughs> and I told another buddy of mine just in passing, uh, Justin, he's the, uh, also the author of traction book. If anyone's read that. Yep. And I said to Justin, I said, yeah, I came across this cool tool, you know, marketers, we love cool tools. Uh, I asked him if he's fundraising. He said no, uh, but that he was willing to sell it. And Justin said, Oh, we should just buy it. I was like, what are you talking about? You know, like, how do we, how do we buy a, an app, buy a company? I didn't really have much money. I was, paying $3,500 for a studio in San Francisco. And it's just kind of stupid, but sure enough, long story short, very long story short, uh, 29, 30 days later, uh, we owned the app. And um, around six or eight months after that, I quit. No, actually about a year after that, I finally quit my full-time job and went full-time on it. So within a few months of buying the app, we rebuilt it and rebranded it to FOMO. And it's just been chugging along ever since. And for people who are not familiar, FOMO stands for? <laughs> fear of missing out. It's a great, great name. Like that's, you know, fear of missing out. You're, it's essentially social proof, right? You're trying to see, hey, those, there's X number of people who have bought this. Maybe I should do the same thing. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, I, I really enjoy naming projects. Maybe that's part of the reason I start so many. Because, <laughs> because I, like to, I like to think of what is the essence of whatever it is that you're, that you're doing, the value you're trying to provide. And so FOMO, you know, a billion people already know this term. And so what we're trying to, we're trying to do is actually maybe uh, counterintuitive. Fear is in the phrase, but fear is not part of our our process. So you'll, you won't see the word fear like on our website. It's never been in any of our marketing materials. I don't even know if we've written it on our blog unless I was saying that I was uh, afraid of like a spider or something. Um, you know, fear is just not part of our strategy. We actually, we actually think that uh, uh, half of it is true though. So, right, I think we're constantly all missing out on great things. And we're missing out on great things because marketers aren't always very good at marketing. And so a lot of great products and services don't exist in the world because people aren't good at uh, exposing those ideas. And so with FOMO, what we're doing, uh, the, our manifestation, right, these notifications and that kind of thing, it's really just helping customers sell for you so that more products, more good products can exist uh, without fancy, lying, cheating marketing copy. That's true. That's one of your projects is Honest Marketers or Marketing. What is the domain? I remember seeing it. Yes. I was like, yes, I'm part of this. I want to be, you know, too many marketers are are kind of are liars. So... 
Yes. So like, oh, is that, good? that is honestmarketer.com. And that's a, a side project of FOMO. It's just a labor of love. Definitely inspired by our friend uh, Lewis's uh, podcast, yeah. Everybody Hates Marketers. And uh, I was on his show and um, shortly after we launched Honest Marketer, it just felt that it had to, it has to exist. And uh, if there is one thing, I guess, that's positive about cults is if you build a cult about honest marketing, not if you build a cult around, I don't know, David Crush or something like that that I learned about earlier this year. <laughs> Where is FOMO right now in terms of, is there any stats that you can say like X number of users that are using FOMO or like X number of dollars in terms of MR or is that something that you can't share? Yeah, sure. So we're pretty open with everything. You can actually, we even built our own API, uh, the FOMO open API. So anyone could literally build an app using FOMO stats. So we share our daily signups, how many customers we have, how many websites we're on. Uh, in terms of revenue, we started the year over a hundred thousand recurring revenue and we've just been hovering around there for the last, last few months. Uh, we have, Thousands of paying customers on an average day, we get 20 to 30 signups. Um, and so that's that's kind of the high level. And I think we're active on around just shy of 12,000 websites. So the average customer has maybe like 2.3 websites, you know, in their account, something like that. Where did you start when you bought it? Was it only a few thousand monthly recurring or, you know, where, where, where was it when you bought it? So FOMO or Notify is pretty solid when we bought it. I believe it was around... 15,500, 16,000. Um, and then we've, what, 6 x it or so since then. Yeah. Let's talk about that. That's that's what <laughs> I that, And that's what I was trying to get at. What is the before and after? And I want to know the middle part because that's usually where the squiggly line happens. So what are the st stuff that you and your team did to get to this point? Bro? Sure. Well, uh, well, it's one of those 2020 hindsight things too. So I don't really want too much credit for some of these decisions. The decisions at the time just, I guess quote unquote, felt right. And then after time went by, I think they ended up being right. So they were realized much later. Uh, but for example, when we bought Notify, you know, I had a full-time job. So I didn't need to suddenly like milk this cow and, you know, go back to Thailand or something and do whatever guys do there. Um, I just kept working. And so because of that, I was, I was very lucky. We were able to just spend 100% of all of the revenue back into the product. So as we grew FOMO, to some degree, it was already growing, right? Organically. We were in the Shopify app store. We were only in the Shopify app store, uh, but we were getting daily installs. We then immediately added um, connections to BigCommerce and WooCommerce and got on each of those app stores pretty quickly. And that created a few more daily organic installs. Uh, but then in addition to that, just every incremental dollar we generated, we would bring on another engineer. Right, or an engineer who was doing part-time work, we would make him full-time. Or an engineer who was doing you know, lower-level work, maybe we swapped a couple of them out for more senior engineers to do higher-level work. And so we invested all of the cash into the product, and that ended up later being, you know, at the time, it was just like me, an obsessive product guy and just wanting to build lots of features. Uh, you know, I'll easily admit that. But I think later, um, you know, even a year later, fast-forward, especially two years later, fast-forward, we had 20, 30 plus competitors that really helped us with this, I think, head start on some of the innovation available in our space because people could launch a landing page that looked like it did what we did, but people would sign up and after a few minutes or hours realize, oh, this doesn't really have all the, the sort of the nuance that I need and they would find FOMO. So what we found was we were ahead of the curve with product. That was our number one uh, innovation. That was our number one sort of achievement. It wasn't necessarily clever marketing or anything like that. It was just relentlessly, ruthlessly shipping product every day or so. And uh, then when the competitors came out who spent most of their resources on marketing, they ended up basically just on our behalf, educating nice. you know, hundreds of thousands of e-commerce stores and SaaS websites, and online schools and landing pages and, and agencies. They ended up just paying to educate the market on this concept of social proof automation. And when the savvy shoppers among that cohort of the, the market went looking, you know, social proof, notifications, et cetera, they then found FOMO. So that that really worked for us the first few years. Now we're in this like, okay, there's 30 competitors. A few of them are pretty pretty good, right, products. Uh, they're pretty fully baked in terms of features. They have their stake in the market in terms of like, you know, maybe they work with landing pages really well and we work with e-commerce really well. And so now we're starting to get to this, I think, next wave of, of marketing where all of us are, to some degree, scratching our heads and saying like, okay, who's going to, I don't want to say make the first move, but like, who's going to be the person that everyone else 
tries to learn from. And obviously I want that to be others learning from FOMO. Um, and that's why you know, I, go, I go on these shows, our competitors listen to what I'm saying right now and then they make decisions. Um, but that's okay. <laughs> that's great. I love that tactic. Just waiting for competitors to spend money so that they can educate them on this concept. And then you're already way ahead of, of the curve in terms of the product. So they pretty much paid to, to get you new customers, essentially. Yeah, exactly. And look, Savvy, this isn't something we invented either, right? If any type of product or service that you personally want to pay for or you on behalf of your company or on behalf of your family or whatever, if you're a savvy shopper, you're going to look for alternatives. Right. You know, um, One way that you might not look for alternatives is if you're referred something, right? So when someone refers you, hey, you know, go to this burger spot, it's really good. That's probably going to skip like a few of your steps. You're not necessarily going to go on Yelp and read all of their reviews because, hey, you know, your friend recommended it to you. And so that's the other way that FOMO grows is with these referrals where people just short circuit, they skip straight to signing up for us. But then the other folks that are educated through ads and mass media, um, a lot of them will kind of do a little bit of grinding out and ping us on live chat and ask us some questions and that kind of thing. And we end up still acquiring customers uh, via our competitors' marketing campaigns. True, that's totally true. The other thing I think you guys did really well is your integrations. One of the things is that the more mm. integration you have, the more uh, the easier it is for you for people to find you on like the Shopify App Store or WooCommerce or or other places. You know, that's right. I think I don't want to get on a on a soapbox and say why I think anything what we're doing is so great, but. I will say, just objectively speaking, what a lot of FOMO competitors are doing, but I think I think a lot of people who might use our products don't quite uh, understand, not because they're not capable, but because they might not dig into the details, is a lot of these FOMO competitors are just sort of scraping your website. So they work sort of like event tracking tools, right? They like listen for clicks and forms being filled out, and they try to grab that data and shove it in their, their database, which is okay. Uh, but that makes the integration experience not always super smooth. And so our whole thing from day one is like, let's do server side integrations where we get the data through the back end versus it flying around, you know, maybe insecure browsers. Uh, and we ended up uh, building that feature uh, where we can scrape like a form submit or an opt-in page. And that's what some people use. Maybe they're using archaic tools that we don't integrate with so they can turn that on. It's called FOMO Instant. But yeah, the way, the way we see it is that feature is sort of, should just be a feature. It should be like a last resort, you know, if we don't connect with your tool, plug this in. But a lot of the competitors out there are continuing, I think, to run into challenges because they claim that they integrate with XYZ. Um, but the way it actually works is they just scrape your, your checkout page and uh, it's, it's not super secure. It's not, it's not ideal. Um, and so that's one thing that I think we're pretty proud of. We do differently. Now, in terms of looking back, was there anything that you wish you did differently? So like if you had to start this over again and growing recurring revenue, would there be something that, you know, oh, that's something that I would do again? Differently? I would probably invest more in marketing. Um, you know, again, we get a lot of great brand love. People write about us, they review us, things like that. But we never quite peaked like the typical Silicon Valley launch, right? We never did like TechCrunch and Business Insider, that sort of um, bed, we never really established that kind of bedrock in the valley. Uh, we've always been a little bit more indie, which I think has worked for us really well. Uh, but I think in terms of warding off, just strategically speaking, warding off potential competitors, uh, I think we could have done a better job uh, building more, more visibility or exposing ourselves in the earlier days. Uh, because I also think uh, the best entrepreneurs out there, they're making decisions every day. Um, do I want to start something brand new and solve a problem that hasn't been solved? Or do I want to kind of be a me too for an existing problem and maybe just solve it a little differently? And so I think when a brand or a product that does something pretty well, if you're more exposed, you're actually helping, you're making a net impact on the market because those entrepreneurs who might start competing with you tomorrow because they didn't know you existed, they're actually going to work on other more interesting problems. And there's going to be now again, better products and services for everyone. And so I think, you know, some of our competitors might exist, not because I'm not claiming that it, these people are, you know, scumbags or something like that for competing with us. Uh, some of them are, but most of them aren't. But I think some of them, the good ones, wouldn't actually have even competed if they if they knew we existed. 
And I think they would have maybe worked on other products that maybe I would have been paid for to use on the Fumble website. But one thing you did do really well, and I read this on the in the hackers page about FOMO, is that you I, I read you increased your price three times. Is that is that correct? At least three times. I know one of those it was uh, during Black Friday, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we've done it at least three times, and we've also introduced new tiers that didn't exist. So, you know, early days, like uh, a big customer is someone who showed a million notifications a month or something like that, um, like a big like a big Shopify store. But then we started getting customers that are using the API, and these are some of like, the biggest e-commerce stores out there, and they're just doing millions and millions a month. And so I think we probably have like 30 pricing tiers now, maybe 25 pricing tiers um, that aren't all on the website, but just to help uh, alleviate those folks on the higher higher demand side. Yeah, I'm I'm re- I'm re- really curious about this because this is really top of mind for me recently. Uh, something that Corey Haynes, uh, head of growth at Bear Metrics, talked about, even like Pro- Profitwell talks about, is one way to grow a SaaS recurring revenue is to increase your average revenue per user. And it seems like your price increase actually worked, right? Would you say that it worked? And I'm curious how you were able to increase prices without it negatively affecting your, your revenue? Well, for one, and I, I would swear by this just about any project, if I consulted or, or went for coffee with someone and they were asking about their pricing strategy, I always suggest grandfathering in your old mm. customers. And we've always done that. So to be clear, it's not like we doubled our pricing and we got away with it, <laughs> charging all of our old people more, right? Um, we've always grandfathered people in, which, is itself a kind of retention strategy because someone who's grandfathered, uh, when they log into FOMO, they go to their account billing profile, it tells them like, hey, you're on you know, an old plan. So if they, if they cancel, they're never gonna get that plan back. So that has its own sort of built-in, you know, maybe I'll think twice about canceling. Again, this is, <laughs> we don't threaten customers, we're just giving them the facts. It's a one-way valve. So um, that's kind of, I think, exciting for them. It's like, hey, we're doing you a solid. We're not going to raise your prices. Thanks for supporting us back in 2016, 2017. Um, but if you were to leave and come back, you know, you'd have to join the rest of them. So that's been helpful, grandfathering people in. That gives you actually an unlimited freedom to test pricing as long as you honor um, when people are paying less. And then otherwise, I think what we've been able to do is just attract attract better, I will say better, but attract more mature businesses as we've grown. So as we built our brand, the first people we tried to talk to and the first people who looked for us were like a brand new store. You know, the brand new store, you're saying, I want to get loaded up with apps. I want a receipt printer app and I want a coupon discount app and I want some social proof technology. I want reviews. And, you know, we had to come to the, the realization that everyone in our space, I think, is slowly getting to that FOMO is not a good tool for small or brand new businesses. You know, they are still trying to figure out how to build a product. They're trying to figure out how to acquire interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, FOMO is when you have a replicable top of strategy and you now need to, or you're focused on refining that middle funnel experience and saying, you know, every day 10,000 people come to my store. If I could convert two more of them with different tools, it's a no brainer to pay for that tool. And so that's really been useful for us. And so over the years, we've increased our pricing because we've become more in tune with the right cohort of of the market. And if we're talking to a store that does a million bucks a year, even if we help them get one more conversion a month, uh, FOMO pays for itself, right? And so uh, that's really how we've been able to, I think, increase our our pricing. Our traffic stayed about the same, but the people in that traffic in 2016 or brand new Shopify stores. And the people that are on our website today are running 50 person agencies. And they're on the tech team at a, a public company that has a new side project they wanna spend something up on. So um, just the quality of the traffic increased. And when you sense that happening, I think you can increase your pricing. That's true, and that totally makes sense. You're you're totally, yeah, and you to your point, you're helping them increase their revenue and your tool is, has a direct impact on their sales, right? Like you can see, mm-hmm. you can see attributable attributable uh, sales based on that. Mm-hmm. I'm curious what's next for FOMO. What are uh, things that you're excited about for in the future uh, for this company? Sure. So we actually were gunning pretty hard for the past year on this indie ad network where someone can paste a, a snippet on their blog and we'll actually pay them to syndicate notifications from our other paying customers. And so that's been a fun project, but we actually might, this is my first time saying this, we actually might wind this down pretty soon and focus on new things. So one thing we're working on right now, for example, 
Um, we've gotten many compliments since we, since we launched a few years ago about our design, about our UI, about our UX. Uh, we do a lot of doodling and animations and that kind of thing. And so we thought, well, how can we not really capitalize on this from an actual capital money perspective, but how can we, how can we uh, spread this more than just occasionally someone saying, I like your design? And so we're going to open source our entire design system. So anyone will be able to build an app with FOMO components, with tables and headers and navigations and buttons and all of that. And that's actually going live uh, in about a week. So I think next Tuesday, um, anyone will be able to, to use FOMO's design system. So we're going to compete, in other words, with Bootstrap. And um, that project, obviously free, open source, and it's called Orange. And uh, we can maybe share the link in the show notes versus right now in case it changes. Uh, but uh, yeah, Orange is going to be, we hope, the uh, the indie hackers sort of alternative to Bootstrap. And we're really excited to be able to share our design principles with more web apps out there. Yeah, that's exciting. I do agree. You're, you're the FOMO design of the website's totally amazing. And Thank you. So I'll drop that link for sure when, we, when you get that uh, in the show notes. I want to shift gears a bit, and I saw uh, in one of your presentation at growth conference, growth conference in Europe uh, that the, you said that the best growth is actually growing human potential. I uh, love that talk. I'm going to link it in the show notes as well. What do you mean by that? And what are some ways that you've increased your own human potential to you know, grow this company and other projects that you're working on? Sure. So for those listening, I was asked to speak at a marketing conference in Milan a few weeks ago about growth. And I've done this a few times where I think about what are some cool campaigns I've done in the last few months or since the last time I've spoken somewhere that I could sort of codify. I could find screenshots in GA and I could calculate the conversion rates in a spreadsheet and pull down the data and make some charts and throw it in a slide deck and then share it. And this is 99% of all material like growth talks this is 99% of the type of material I've personally presented. So I'm not bagging on it, but I also reflected though on this traveling that I'm doing and not spending as much time with friends and going to the office on the weekends and just things I didn't used to do, but I've been doing now and I've been doing them with, I, with an okay amount of joy, right? Like it's not, no one's forcing me, no one's holding a gun to my head. I'm starting to enjoy working all of the time. Um, and so I, instead of reflecting on a specific marketing campaign, I tried to reflect on, well, what's really the number one variable that's enabled me to uh, be a steward or be a part of positive growth at multiple projects at the same time without investors, uh, without an office, with a small remote team. And so on, upon doing that reflection, I realized it's really about attitude. It's really about mindset. And you know that's kind of like a yawn, groan at the growth conference, and you're thinking, no, I want tactics. Uh, but I just had to, I had to share this information. And what I boiled it down to were six or so pillars uh, how to grow your company. Uh, and those six pillars are based upon how to grow your own, uh, how to grow your own throughput, how to grow, how to increase your own output. Um, and so one of them, for example, is self-talk. If you believe you can do something. Um, you might not do it, but if you don't believe you could do something, you definitely won't do it, that kind of thing. Um, if you make sacrifices, if you trade one thing that you want to do, like Netflix, for something else you maybe don't want to do but need to do, like, I don't know, rewrite your entire onboarding email sequence, then that's going to be really positive for your company. And so when people say, how do I grow my company, but they're sort of like half-assing their, their day-to-day, um, well, it's like you're already only half as effective as you could be. So instead of giving you a new tactic that you're going to do with 10% efficacy, why don't you just become like a champion, uh, like an insane animal, a player, machine, whatever you want to, whatever term you want to use, uh, at what you're already doing? That's going to make each of those tactics more powerful. And so that's what I tried to talk about. Uh, for us, tactically, I think in some cases that just means like fanatical support, right? So someone says, what's a tactic I can grow my company? It's like, well, forget all of the hacks. Just do support like after midnight and see what happens. Not uncommon. And I, I'm not full-time on support. We have full-time support, um, thankfully at FOMO and at CrossSell. But I do support, you know, all of us do a little bit of support on almost a daily basis. And I'm telling you, when someone emails you on a Saturday, 
it could be a simple question, something that they can answer themselves in their knowledge base or they click around. But if you get back to them and if you get back to them like 37 seconds later, because you're working on your computer on a Saturday, their head's going to explode. Right. So that person is probably 10 times more likely to go write you a review or tweet or share with their friends, even though what help you gave them was mundane. But the context of that help Saturday afternoon, they weren't expecting a reply. Maybe there's a little bit of extra juice if like the founder, you know, if the founder does the support versus someone else that just makes their head explode. So it's like, well, what was really a better growth tactic? You know, like sending people obnoxious emails with like a slightly tweaked subject line or just giving existing customers uh, really good support. So that's that's just one example of something we try to do. But to give someone that really good support to see an email fly in when it's 2 a.m., you're laying in bed, you're watching Netflix to see that email fly in on your phone or someone saying, I can't figure this out, yada, yada, yada. They've attached five screenshots. They're walking you through this big problem and you go kind of like, oh, I just want to relax Friday night. What's going on? And if you decide to suck it up, which I do often, I get out of bed and I just go my laptop and blah, blah, blah. Sometimes get a coffee. It doesn't matter. And, uh, and take care of it. You actually are now creating raving fans. I don't really know a better growth act than that. Yeah, you're totally right. I actually just happened to me yesterday. I was checking out this uh, remote podcasting tool. I didn't know how to use a feature. I sent a message like 10 p.m. like my time. I got a reply back within five minutes from one of the founders. I'm like, what the <laughs> This is so sweet. It's eerie. What you want, and I think an indicator of that, is just you want people to reply and say, do you ever sleep? And that, that's like what you want people to say to you. And once, once people on a weekly basis are saying, Ryan, do you ever sleep? Then you know you're winning. And you know nice. that the competitors aren't doing that. Nice, that makes sense. Uh, that's the best hack that I've heard so far. <laughs> Get somebody to say, do you ever sleep? And that's what I want to ask you. Do you do you sleep? Because you have a lot of projects coming up. Uh, I noticed you you just launched a course on you know micro P, and you also have a book that's coming out, Fitness for Hackers. What's next for you? What are you excited about uh, that's coming up? Sure, I think. Well, what I'm really excited about is some date far off in the future where I do less, um, and all of this is trying to work towards that. So setting up more systems, right? So for example, um, you can only have, work on so many projects a day, but that doesn't mean you can't be involved with more projects. So at, at Fork, where we're buying small apps, um, we can't buy a 13th app that I'm writing code on, but we could buy 30 apps if 20 of those apps had a full-time support person and a developer working on five of them, like an agency. And so trying to get over that, um, that inflection point where we can centralize uh, a team that works on multiple things at once to scale myself and to create more leverage. So that's kind of my high level project this year is creating more leverage in my day to day with with the products that I'm working on. So what I'm excited about, though, in, in a general sense is just sharing more uh, information, sharing things I learned. I think I've learned over the years, uh, observationally, empirically, there's no spreadsheets involved in this, but it seems that the best way I can help people, and that's something I enjoy doing, is by writing. And I'm not a writer, I'll never be a writer, I'm not good at writing, but I do it a lot. And if you do it enough, some of it trickles through as like maybe somewhat useful to someone. And so realizing that the best way to scale helping someone is writing something down, uh, I've been trying to then experience things so that I have something to write down. And so buying companies, trying to sell companies, building things from scratch, doing live streams. Uh, Like you said, I just wrote this book, Fitness for Hackers, which is uh, a a new mindset for developer types to get in better shape that I think is going to work better for them than than the the classic like nutritionist training. Um, All of this is just trying to scale uh, helpfulness. It's funny you say that. I've been thinking, uh, I turned 34 last week, my birthday, and I've been thinking Uh, about what what is my North Star metric. So what is it that I'm trying to optimize for? And that's one thing that I've come to realize is like one of the things I'm trying to optimize is helping uh, helping people, like having direct impact in people's lives. And it's cool that you're you're pretty much doing the same with your work. I'm just about to wrap up now. I have two more questions. The first one is, what is one piece of advice you have for marketers or any founders who w- want to be where you're at right now? Sure. Well, one thing that might be useful to, to marketers in particular is... Uh to stop worrying about launching. So I think a lot of marketers might weigh themselves based on their ability to launch a product. Mm. And if you're apprehensive, you know, if I launch something in day one, it doesn't blow up. It doesn't get to top on Hacker News or Reddit, or I don't sell out of my pre-orders or something like that. 
then they tell themselves, well, therefore I'm not a good marketer. And, and what's even worse than that, because I don't really care if someone's negative to themselves, you know, like fashion and work, so I don't really care about that. But if someone then decides, well, because I'm not a good launcher, therefore I'm not a good marketer, therefore I won't start something, now this is like a travesty. And so people don't start things because they're afraid of what will happen when they try to launch things. So to me, that's a, that's a, a root problem that's, that's more easily addressed. And the way it's addressed is by just basically never launching. I don't really launch stuff. Uh, today, I, I quote unquote launched a new course, like you said, on how to buy companies, but it wasn't a launch. <laughs> I emailed my newsletter and I tweeted once. So like that was my launch, right? If, if nobody bought it, I would have still shipped the course and it would be live. And I launch things all the time by tweeting and like seven people like it and it's launched and that's it. And so don't launch, like forget about launch. When you build a company, which is what all of us want to do, we don't just want to do a a one and done launch, not anymore. You know, if you're an info marketer, maybe, but even then info marketers are now moving towards evergreen funnels. You know, you want your content selling all year. Don't launch, just keep shipping, right? So what I like to do is like tweet the thing, the URL and go right back into coding or working on it or whatever. Check a few hours later and go, that's cool, right? Like my little tiny network, my little place on the internet on Twitter um, thought it was interesting. But guess what? Whether I even had that little tiny group on the internet or not doesn't matter. Whether they liked it kind of doesn't even matter because they are one sliver of a, of a, a total addressable market size for you. So um, don't allow a fear of, of a launch metric to prevent you from starting something in general. In fact, it's kind of fun as well to build things I'll put them, let's say, on like my projects page, never tweet them out. Maybe the homepage looks horrible and it's just not even worth it. And four months later, someone will email me, hey, I found your projects and I'm really looking forward to using this product. And so instead, launching is this like thing that happens way later. So just add value, build things, make them visible, put them on a website. People will find them over time. They'll self-identify as someone who's in need of whatever you've built. And, uh, and it's a little more, uh, I don't want to say elegant, but definitely more organic way to start building that community and building kind of an army of, mm. of loyal fans or customers or advocates for the things you do, but just don't launch. You know, I've, I've done so many like quote unquote launches that if I allowed the launch metrics to dictate um, how much more energy I put into the project afterwards, those projects wouldn't exist. Uh, so don't launch. That's great. I, I love that. It's just like, just, just get it, just put it out there and see the response. Mm-hmm. It's, it's funny because I'm trying to start a side project with my wife. And she is so afraid. She's like, oh, what will people think about me? What would, what would my friends think about me? How do you help those kind of folks? What do, you, what do you say? Have you ever met, first of all, have you ever met somebody who's like, uh, I don't know if I should launch this. And you're just like, just do it. Is there anything else that you say after that? Ooh, that's a good one. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to talk bad about anyone, but I think because you said it, I'll say it. My wife is the same. Is the same. <laughs> so she has ideas and she has projects and she's a developer and she'll code something and then be afraid to, to launch it. And I think part of it is just, uh, has nothing to do with like tech and marketing. It's just all of us as humans are like have different levels of apprehension about sharing things we've made. Um, for me, I kind of got, uh, used to simulating in advance what the negative feedback will be. Um, and I think I got into this years ago. So I used to make a lot of videos on YouTube covering like, you know, a, a song by Lighthouse or something. I, I think I even did like a Beyonce cover one time on acoustic guitar. And I just knew before I hit publish, like somebody's going to watch this and call me all kinds of names. Somebody's going to say I have too much vibrato. Somebody's going to say I'm out of pitch. Somebody's going to say, you know, all this. But then you push it and, and that, that happens. <laughs> and you've already anticipated that there are the haters. And then somebody else says like, marry me. I'm in, I'm on your street right now. And then like, that's weird too, but like in its own new cool way. And so, uh, when you get used to synthesizing or simulating negative feedback before it happens, when it happens, you almost pat yourself in the back. Like, haha, I called it, you know, you're like a truth sayer. You, you see that you're now a predictor of the future. Um, but what you, what you can't predict and this where it gets exciting are all the positive, uh, bits of feedback you might get, you know? So I launched this course today and I thought my target audience are people who have not ever bought a company. And they have some extra cash and they might want to buy a small company. That, that's what the course is for. But then someone bought the course who said, I've deployed $10 million buying six companies. And I still bought this course because if there's even one useful nugget in it, it was useful. Mm. And that, again, that like made my brain break because I wasn't anticipating that kind of feedback. He proved me wrong about my total addressable market because he entered the market without me asking him to. And uh, I could have never anticipated that. So you're selling yourself short 
on the value you might be able to provide the world when you uh, fail to just simulate the bad stuff in advance and just ship it anyway. Just last question. Uh, what is your call to action to my listeners? Where do you want them to go? Oh, that's great. Well, I don't like to pitch anything ever. FOMO is sort of um, adjacent. Our FOMO values are adjacent to my values. That's what happens a lot, I think, on accident with founders and you set a culture and you try to set a vision. Um, I don't want to sell you anything. So if you're listening, thank you for listening. Uh, if you'd like to see some of my writing, go to ryancclub.com. If you'd like to see some of my political jokes and startup jokes about San Francisco, uh, follow me at Ryan C. Culp on Twitter. Uh, I do not have LinkedIn because I don't want a job. And that's it for me. Awesome. Uh, that's totally it. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for listening in all the way until the very end. And to give you a reward for staying all the way here, let me share with you my three key takeaways. First, listen and innovate. One thing that Ryan did really well is to listen to his customers and stay ahead of the product innovation curve. This way, FOMO is always one step ahead of the competitors. So when competitors were spending a lot of money on educating customers and trying to acquire them on social proof automation tools, they were actually driving customers to FOMO since they have more features than their competitors. Second, be fanatical about your support. Ryan said that this is the best growth tactic that grew FOMO. He made sure that there was always someone in the support team available to respond to issues right away. This resulted in customers who not only were delighted by the fantastic support and as a result increased customer lifetime value, but it also turned customers into advocates. Third, stop launching and instead always be shipping. The problem with big launches is that they're risky. It's better to ship often and adapt to ever-changing tech landscape. Ryan takes this to heart with any new project he has. So if you have a project, podcast, startup idea that you've been waiting to launch, just do it. Now I've created a growth cheat sheet from this episode on how Ryan grew FOMO from 15,000 to 100,000. Why take notes when you can steal mine? So download it now at growtoday.fm which last 53. It's only be up until I release the next episode on Tuesday, August 13th. So get it now. You can get the link in the description of this podcast. If you're listening on this episode after August 13th, I'm sorry, you missed it. So subscribe now so you don't miss any episodes growth cheat sheet. Now support this podcast. I'm not sure if you know, this is a one-man show. I record, edit, and create all my marketing materials for this podcast. Three ways to support it. First, share a quote on Twitter or LinkedIn. Tell a friend about it. You can go to growtoday.fm forward slash 53 to make it easy for you to share this podcast. Second, join Grow, Grow Today's tribe on growtoday.fm where you get cheat sheets directly emailed to you. I also tell you who my next guests are and you can ask questions via email directly. Third, support me on Patreon with as little as $2 per episode for exclusive access. So many things you can get a personal handwritten thank you notes and Grow Today stickers mailed to you. Early access to podcasts one day before the release, access to all my Grow Cheat Sheets, access to a private Grow Today tribe Slack group, and you can listen in to my podcast live on certain ones while I'm recording it with the guests. My goal is to raise $200 per episode so I can focus all my energy with finding more amazing guests and putting together smart questions from the community to ask them. Go to patreon.com forward slash go today. There's only 18 spots left to be an early adopter. With that, you get all of the perks for as little as $2 per episode. You'll also announce your name on this podcast episode and provide a link in the podcast page. With that, I have to announce two early adopters I have so far, Jamie Ward from Las Vegas and Veronica from London, UK. Thank you for being an early adopter of growth marketing today. As always, keep on growing. Passion, 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 passion.